0: Uh early, we're starting the book of first John. We started that last week, and uh, we'll be in first John chapter one, and uh, we would love for you guys to follow along with us. So uh, we actually have some Bibles. If you need a Bible, we would love for you to raise your hand because we have a Bible for you, and that can be a gift to you. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we have some people in the back We'll be passing out Bibles. This is a big deal to us. We want to study through the word. So first John two or chapter one, and we'll actually go into chapter two a little bit. But first John chapter one, we'll get into verse uh, chapter two, verse two. Let me kind of catch up to speed again. Welcome. Uh, this, is the, the, we just, this is called the exchange. Here's, here's why. Because God switched places with us. Um, we want to be a church community that's all about the gospel. That's all about what Christ has done for us. And so, again, as I mentioned earlier, we've been gathering now for several months in our house, having prayer meetings, little Bible studies. But now it's kind of like, hey, we want to we be in the city of Deerfield. And we love to make an impact here for the gospel. And so, again, uh, we're just going through the book of 1 John. We're asking that God would speak to us, that he would kind of redeem different mindsets we've had when it comes to him or the gospel. And so, anyways, 1 John chapter 1. Before we read, let me kind of bring up the speed and kind of give you some context if you missed last week. Uh, John is at at a place in his life where he's probably around 90 to 100 years old, most people believe. Old guy. Grandpa, father figure in the faith. Uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were probably the last books of the Bible that were written, even after Revelation. John wrote the book of Revelation as well. He wrote that on the island of Patmos. It's believed he came back to the the Asia Minor area, nowadays, modern day Turkey. And this is where he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so kind of like a father, grandpa figure writing to his grandchildren. And you kind of see that heart. He'll say, my little children, or my beloved. You kind of see that loving fatherly feel throughout this book. And John is talking about in the first four verses how he walked with God, how he literally saw Jesus, felt Jesus, heard Jesus, that he literally walked with God in the flesh. And John is saying, hey, the same fellowship I've had with God, is the same fellowship you can have with God. I've literally walked with God and had fellowship with God, and you too can have fellowship with God. And so he's kind of inviting us into this. He's saying, even though Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, even though we don't see him anymore, I still have that fellowship I used to have, I still have with him. And you can have as well. And what we talked about last week, this idea is we don't want to just, again, church is not a place where you kind of come, attend, and leave. We really wanted to do that. We want to be that community. We want to bring you into, like, that fellowship, that koinonia that we talked about, you know, making fun of me, like, koinonia fellowship is so much more than just coffee and donuts after church. It's so much more than that. This, this idea of koinonia means you share the most important thing in common. And so for us, regardless of our age or race or gender, it's like we have the most important thing in common, that's Jesus. And so John's saying, I want to invite you into this. We have Jesus in common. We have relationship. We have fellowship with the Father and with each other. And so that was kind of John's intro. And he's basically saying this, God did not just save us to save us, but God saved us so that we might know him and walk with him. It's not, it's not just about getting saved. I want to make sure I don't go to hell. A lot, a lot of times that's where kind of Christianity starts for people. I, as long as I don't go to hell, I'm happy. But Christianity is so much more than that. It's I want to know Jesus and enjoy him forever. Like I want to walk with him. I want to go where he goes, I go. I want to be with him in that way. And so John is actually now in the next few verses going to say, here's what it looks like to walk with God. So if someone does claim to walk with God, what does that mean? If someone claims, I walk with God, that's a pretty bold claim. That's what Christians that's what we say. We say we walk with God. So what does that look like? What, what should my life look like? What should your life look like? And so in light of that, today in the verses we're going to read, John talks a lot about sin. And this isn't something we like, love to talk about. No one's like, yes, my pastor's talking about sin tonight. You've got to come. Like, this is not something we really like, like to focus on. But it's necessary. Uh, John's talking about some some deep, and even you'll see some terms he uses, some theological terms, and he's trying to find them for us, and again, this is not like a modern-day American Christian talk about sin, talk about theological terms. It's not that like, we, we don't usually love to do that, but John does that, so we're going to do that too. So we're going to look at sin. We're going to look about what does it mean to be self-deceived. We're going to look about our advocate who's Jesus in light of sin, in light of how do we have fellowship with God, how do we walk with God. So Let's just read 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read verse 5 all the way into chapter 2, verse 2, because there's no such thing as chapter breaks and verses, right? That's, that's something we added. So uh, here we go. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. John writes, This is the message which we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him God a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But, and I love this is the New King James Version, but the ESV does it right. It says, "But if you do sin, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only." but also for the whole world. That's some good news right there, right? I'm excited about this text. We're going to pray over it. Uh, we're going to give this time to the Lord and then just kind of break this down. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this truth that you are light. And in you is no darkness at all. And God, as we just ask that in this room, my own life, God, that you would just make us those image bearers of you, that we'd bear witness of this light. God, that our life would reflect how good and pure and holy and awesome you are. That, Jesus, you are the light of the world, and you also call us the lights of the world. And so, God, speak to us. God, when there's sin in our life, we thank you that if we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive us. We thank you that if we do sin, we have an advocate. And so, God, I ask that you would just uh, speak into those dark areas of our life we don't want to address. We'd also, God, just cover us with your grace. And so we invite you here now in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So it's about that time of year again. Uh, we're just a few weeks away from when all the snowboard, snow, snowbirds from up north, I don't know what i was saying, are moving down south, are coming down south, right? I've actually been reading about this, but uh, this is something I wasn't familiar with being from California, even though I guess we have that, but I never noticed. But the idea of people up north going, we, winter's coming, let's flee, let's head south, let's go to Florida. And this is kind of about the time of year, around mid-October, when we start to see more traffic, Right. You can't go to Costco anymore because they love Costco. For some reason, snowbirds just love Costco. <laughs> Whenever I'm there, I'm like, oh, Canada everywhere. That's cool. Nowhere to park. Uh, but it seems like we as South Floridians, we, we have like this love-hate relationship with snowbirds because uh, in many ways, you know, they, they bring us jobs. They help the economy. I, in other ways, that, you know, again, traffic is, is much more difficult, things like that. And, and it is interesting. There are a group of people really throughout the globe, it seems like if they can through retirement or have the wealth, they can almost go, I have my winter home and I have my summer home. And so when it's winter, I'm going to move south. I'm going to head south because it's winter. And it's almost like they follow, they chase the sun. Like wherever the sun goes, they're going. And why not South Florida? Like we are the sunshine state. Like that is what we are known for. We don't have seasons. I don't know if anyone here has ever experienced the season. I have a little bit. But we have hot and hotter, right? We don't have anything else. Like we have a breeze. We're like, oh my gosh, a breeze. Put on your snow boots. Like we're so weird. We're so weird down here. That's kind of what we, we focus on and do. And it's funny how there's a group of people that go, man, where the sun is, I, I want to be. And, and why is that? Some of us here love, I don't want to like, ask, who here loves the sun or loves light? Or who here doesn't like the sun or light? Because if, if you don't, you're in the wrong state, right? Like, we are just in that sunshine state. But the idea of light and what does it do and, and, and talk about light, I just want to point out a few things as we look at light, as we talk about light. Light has these properties, right? Light heals, if you've ever been sick and been in your house for a while, like more than a day, you're kind of like, get me out of here. Like when I'm sick, I'm like, let me just like sit in the sun and soak up that vitamin D and you kind of feel a little bit better that way. But light has healing properties. Light just does something, it kind of gives you life again. There are people who literally can get so sick by living up north if there's no sun, they have to sit by like fake light to try to soak in some f- fake vitamin D, I guess. But that's like, light actually heals. There's healing properties with light. Light also reveals. Light reveals a lot, right? When you think about light, during the hurricane, you probably, for some of you, you'd never appreciate light more than ever. Like you're like, oh my gosh, how did cavemen do it before we had electricity? Like that mm-hmm. is really tough. Uh, I think I appreciate light in a whole new way at different points in my life. My son right now, we we actually boarded up our house for the hurricane, and I don't know about you, but our house is still still boarded up. So our house, I love it, personally, though. It's like, it's like a giant cave for me. Um, but, <laughs> but because of our house being boarded up, we can't even tell when the sun's rising or setting, and so my son has no idea what time it is. He woke up at 11.30 a.m. today, just, it's bad. But I love the feeling of it. But let my wife like, goes to the room the other day and she's like, Micah, wake up. And he's like, no light, no, turn off the light. Like s- the light just ha- reveals. We live in an apartment in uh, Southern California where we were just, it was just a roach infested apartment. That's all I can say. I don't even get into the details. But you just turn on the lights and like there would just be a group of them gathered together like, oh no, we're busted. And like scatter, right? Light just reveals. It reveals a lot. It's funny how darkness conceals and light reveals. And that's just the truth. Darkness conceals and light reveals. And there are so many things about light just brings so much clarity. You, we've all been there looking for our phone, trying to get that flashlight thing going on because we can't find something. And we're like looking for light. We love light when there's darkness because we want to we expose the darkness. We want to shine the light on the darkness. Here's what's happening here, and here's what I love about John. John basically, in the first four verses, kind of introduced himself, saying, I walked with God, I ate with God, I talked with God, and I had fellowship with God. And guess what? I want to invite you into this fellowship with God. It's not just for me. It's for everyone. Everyone can have this fellowship with God. And then in verse 5, he kind of gives us like his thesis statement for the book. He basically says, let me just start off with telling you who God is. Look at verse 5 again. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. I want to point this out, but John starts off the book by talking about and starting, focus. the focus is on God. He's like, let me just tell you who God is. Before I tell you who you are, before I tell you where you're at, let's just start with God. Let me just say this. Listen, the Bible's great. Here at the Exchange, we're going to study the word of God. I know in my own life, the the word of God has just transformed and shaped and changed me in so many ways. And we love God's word. We value God's word. But can I say this? The Bible is not about me. The Bible is for me, but it's about God. See, and here's why this is so important. When you start off reading the Bible and thinking it's, it's about you, you're missing the point. If I can start off with the Bible knowing that it begins with God, in the beginning God, and it ends with God. It will change how I read the Bible. It change how I view marriage. It will change how I view finances and relationships. If I realize the Bible is not so much about me, yes, it's for me, but it's more about God, that will be my lens in which I kind of view everything now. That this is about God. It's not about me. That I am not the center of this world. That God is the center. That this is not, it's not necessarily for me as much as it's about God and for God, for his glory. So John starts off and says, let me just like show you And let me just tell you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And this idea of light is so powerful and profound. I think if you read throughout the whole Old and New Testament, there's over 200 references to this idea of God being light. And this contrast of light and darkness. This microphone loves me. Remember last week is so great. But this idea of light and darkness is contrasted throughout all of scriptures. And what does it mean? What does that mean when it says God is light? Like what is it trying to get at? What is is, uh, John trying to share here when it says God is light? And here's just a simple idea, just in case you want to take notes, and some are pretty obvious, but when you see light contrasted with darkness throughout the scriptures, there's different terms it's really trying to say and use. First of all, light is good. Light is good. That's pretty positive. Darkness, evil. That's how the Bible talks about it. Light is holy. Darkness is unholy. When the Bible speaks of light, it speaks of honesty. It exposes. It's truth. Darkness is dishonest. Light, again, it reveals. Darkness conceals. Light brings sight. Darkness brings blindness. Light brings life. Darkness brings death. Light is safe. Darkness is unsafe. And and, and we almost could unpack those more. Like we could almost look at the different occasions the Bible uses those. But I want you to think about that. Life is safe. We we were afraid of the dark as little kids. We kind of grew up, maybe you're still afraid of the dark, but life for us is like a safe place. We run to the light. We want to be in the light. There's something again about light that you look on and go, man. It brings sight. Again, there would be what is what is what is color. There would be no idea of color if there wasn't this idea of light revealing that color to us. Just light has is incredible the way it works. How the the way the Bible talks about it. But here's what I want to look at today when it comes to light. All right. So three thoughts today. A part of me, just so you know, I really just wanted to like kind of walk through this verse by verse. But I know some of you would twitch if I didn't give you like a three point message. So I have a three point thing for you. Uh, But part of me just wants to walk through these verses because they're so powerful. We're going to do that. But here's three thoughts I'm going to share with you, and then we'll break these down, all right? First of all, number one, light exposes sin. All right? Light exposes sin. And and this is kind of what John says in verse 6, 8, and 10. Light is going to expose sin. Light is going to expose darkness. All right? Number two, uh, confession cleanses sin. Confession cleanses sin. And number three, Jesus propitiates sin. That's that big word. All right? We're going to define it. Don't worry. But Jesus propitiates sin. So light exposes sin. Confession cleanses sin. And number three, uh, Jesus propitiates sin. We'll define that. So let's just look at the first one. Light exposes sin. Now, if you want to look at verse 6 through 10, really quick, just take a glance at it. How many times does it go, if we, if we, if we? Like in all the, it's like this landmine of here's, if we say that, if we, if we confess, you're going to see the if we verses now. All right, so let's look at verse 6. Light exposes sin. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All right, if you're taking notes, I want to point this out because I think it's necessary. Verse 6, verse 8, and 10 seem to be saying the same thing, Right? Like if we say they have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, it, it seems to be saying the same thing. If you look at it, basically what it's saying, we'll throw it up here. If you say you don't have sin, you're lying to others, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to God. It's kind of what John's saying. If you say you have fellowship with God and you lo- walk in darkness, you lie and you don't practice the truth. You're lying to others. Others can see right through that. Like people, it's not hard to say, yeah, I love God, I walk with God. And like, Well, your life doesn't reflect that. So the idea is John is kind of walking us through and saying, listen, light will expose this. Light will expose this. So let me just kind of put it this way. John is saying we have fellowship with God. We're walking with God. The more my wife and I walk together, the more I'm going to know her, she's going to know me. And in some ways, I'll become more like her, she'll become like me. I probably need to be more like her than her, like me. But the idea is the more you kind of walk with someone, over time, you kind of become like them. You pick up on their attributes, on what they say, their characteristics. This idea of us walking with God is we're going to become like him. If you walk with Jesus for so long, just who he is and what he's like and how he'd respond in a situation, what he would say is kind of just going to bleed into our lives. The Bible talks about it this way even throughout Romans, that when you and I were born again, God gave us a new nature, a new desire, new wills. Now we still have an old nature. I still have an old way of thinking. I still have old tendencies. But it also talks about, you know, when you are born again, you have this new nature, this new desire, these new tendencies within you. If you walk with God, you're going to have a new nature, new desires, new new relationships, new tendencies, a new will, new, new everything. Everything's made new when you start to walk with God. So without getting weird this illustration or being kind of gross, but here's probably the youth pastor for me. Uh, if right now in this illustration, there was just my son walks in, he's two years old, let's just say he ate some crayons and threw up on the floor. All right, this is gross. But if there was throw up or vomit on the floor, I don't need to make a rule and be like, hey, adults, do not touch the vomit. Do not touch. I command you to not look up that vomit. Do not do it. That is a command. No one's going to be like, why would you command that? I have no desire to do that, right? But if there's a dog in this room, the dog sees the, sees the vomit. It's going to be like, oh, no, no, don't. Like, you're going to talk to it differently. You're going to train it differently. For some reason, the dog sees it. It's like, I want to I wanna look that up. That sounds really good. For us, we're not going to be like, yeah, that, that does look good, dog. Like, let me join you in that. Why? We have a different nature than the animal. We have a different nature than the dog. Here's kind of the idea. Uh, when you walk with Christ, God gives you new nature things that once looked appealing to you and desirable no longer look appealing and desirable. If you really walk with God, there's absolutely no way your life will look the same. Again, verse 6, just to like let the secret, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we'd lie, and we do not practice the truth. It's powerful. This is basically speaking against that self-deceptive hypocrisy we can all sometimes walk in. If I say I love God, I'm walking with God, but I'm walking really in darkness. My life doesn't reflect that. That no one sees the real me. People might see the projected me, but not the actual me. See, over time, God's light will will really shine on that projected self versus the actual self. It is easy on social media, as we know, and it is easy in life to kind of for a minute smile and shake hands and just put on a show. But over time, if you come into my house and you live life with me, or I come into your house and I live life with you, I will stop seeing the projected self, and I'll start start seeing the actual self. Light will expose those things. And here we just point out a couple quick things, because I think it's worth doing this. Here's some ways. So people go, what are some ways you might be walking in darkness? What are some ways you might be walking in darkness? Two quick thoughts. Number one, you believe but don't repent. You might be walking in darkness if you say you believe in Jesus, but yet do not repent of anything. Let me just point this out. Jesus' first word in ministry, after John the Baptist, his cousin, baptized him, he came out of the water, Jesus starts his ministry. The very first word he started off with was what? Repent. It's the first word in Jesus' ministry. Repent. The the kingdom of God is near. Like, that is his first word. In Acts chapter 3, 19, Peter says, Repent and believe, and times of refreshing will come. Repent. When someone says, I walk with God, I believe in Jesus, but yet I will not give that over to him. I will not repent of that. They're probably walking in darkness. I believe in him, but I can still continue to do what I'm doing. Imagine if you're not married or before you're married or one day when you get married, imagine saying to your fiance, hey, listen, I love you, but I also want to keep all my other exes around. Like, I love you, but I also want to keep all my, my lovers around. Is I promise you'll be number one out of all of them. Is that, accept- like, is that acceptable? Like, oh, I'll be number one out of all 20? Thank you. Like, no, sh- the response would be I want to be the only one, not number one, right? I want to be the only one. I'm not satisfied with another list of other people. This is God. God's like, I don't want to be number one. I want to be the only one. I want to say if you walk with me, if you believe in me, if, you, if again, you've chosen to follow me, I don't want to be number one. I want to be the only one. And then if, but we go, but God, I don't want to get this up yet. I don't want to turn this over to you yet. And God's like, if you say you have fellowship with me and walk in darkness, you're a liar. You're, deceiving, you're trying to deceive others. You do not practice the truth. Another way you might be walking in darkness, you're casual about sin or even embrace sin. You're casual about sin or even embrace sin. Like, when people talk about issues in your life, you're like, what? So? That's like 95% of the Christians I know. Like, who cares? And you kind of try to dismiss it. You kind of try to ignore it. Maybe you're casual about it. I can love Jesus and sleep with my girlfriend. Of course I can. I can love Jesus and have this addiction that no one knows about. Of course I can. And you kind of live in this false, deceptive state, thinking, okay, Jesus, I come to him as I am, and I just stay as I am. This is not the case. You know, Jesus says in Luke 6:46, he goes, why do you, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I command? Why would you ever call me Lord but never do what I ask you to do? You, you know Jesus is Lord when he asks you to give up those things. You go, I, don't, I have a decision right now. Do I either give him up or give this up? And it's really hard. Again, obedience, obedience is interesting. I just, I think this is fun. I tell everybody, like, if I were to say, hey, I eat this bowl of ice cream, obey me, and your favorite thing is ice cream, like, oh, man, I guess I'll obey you and eat the ice cream. Like, that's not obedience, right? Obedience is usually when it's like, it, it's hard. It goes against our nature. It goes against our desires. When God says, if you love me, you will obey me in John 14, it's hard. It will go against our desires. It will uh, will go against our nature, but that's when you know, is he your Lord? He's not just Lord when you agree with him, right? What if Jesus was only my Lord? I'm like, I I do like that point, Jesus, so I, I will agree with you and you can be Lord here. But, like, is he Lord everywhere? Is he Lord in every scenario? If I say I'm walking with him, but I walk in darkness, I'm lying and do not practice the truth. Jesus put it this way. We'll throw the verse up here. It's John chapter 3. John chapter 3. But Jesus said it this way. I think this is a great way of saying it. He says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. It's Probably the best commentary of light and darkness. And I don't need to really get into this, but I'll say this. Yes, obviously, if you're in darkness, no one wants to bring it to light, but I, I'm telling you, bring it to the light. In this room, I really hope you know, you will see over time, that if you just continue to walk with us a little bit longer, we are flawed, sinful people just seeking Jesus together. You will see that. But there has to be this des- desire sooner or later. You go, I've been kind of hiding this from people. I want to bring it into light now rather than maybe God exposing it and it's just shameful, how about I decide? How about I repent and I bring it to the light? You know, h- either the Bible talks about this way, either, you know, you will, God will humble you or you'll humble yourself. And it's like, okay, do you want God to humble you or do you want to humble yourself and say, let me just bring it to the light now? And I hope that you know that this is a place where if you confess sin, we will practice First John 1, Je- 9. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive. If Jesus forgives you, I have no right to not forgive you. If Jesus is quick to forgive you for your sin, I'm gonna have to join him in that. Forgive you for sin. Anyone else is too, but like bring it to the light. It's miserable keeping sin in darkness. And you guys know what I'm talking about. We've all had those stages of life, we've all had those seasons of life where you go, I don't want anyone to see this or know about this, and I want I want to be I just I don't want to bring it to the light. And you're a miserable human being, you're a miserable Christian to be around when that's the case. But when you confess your sins, you will see that healing takes place. What God designed for just life is like when you confess, there's this healing. James five talks about. That's how God designed it to go. So if you say, I walk with God, but you walk in darkness, you're lying. You do not practice truth. You're lying to others. But look at verse 7. Verse 7 is a great little, you know, it's like every other verse kind of. Verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin notice that if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light his blood and the way it's written in the greek i love this his blood continually cleanses us it doesn't stop cleansing us from all unrighteousness like as i walk with god in the light it is continually cleansed. it's it's interesting right from the very beginning god created man adam and eve they decided to st- to really not obey god the ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and what do they do the first thing they did was they hide they hid the first thing they did is like we we got to get out we got to hide it's interesting how when we sin we go i got to hide I gotta get out of. light. I gotta try to hide. I love how God goes, Adam, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here. Like, it didn't last very long, obviously. You can't really hide from God. Uh, but it's interesting how when we have sin, we, we kind of immediately, our first thought is, I gotta hide. My son and I, we, we play hide and go seek, and I love it. He's two, and he's two, almost two and a half. Uh, but he's a lot of fun. We're like, Mikey, go hide. And he goes, hides, and he'll put himself under a stack of pillows. And he's, we, all, we always know where he's hiding. And so we're walking in. And I'm like, Micah, where are you? And underneath the pillows, he goes, right here. I'm like, no, that's not how the game works. You don't say right here. He's a terrible hider, right? Even if he didn't say right here, we'd know. Terrible hider. Like, that's how we are with God. Like, we can try to hide our sin as much as we want, bring it to darkness as much as we want, but it's going to be exposed. Like, it's going to be exposed. It's going to be brought into the light. I just want to even point this out. This is a beautiful verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. Why not bring it to the light? My question would be more ver- worded that way. What would keep you from bringing sin to the light? What would keep you from saying, I want to make this known? Is it your pride, your ego? I don't want people to see me. Like guys, we're all sinners. We're all broken, messed up people. I think like we'd more like, amen. Like, Yes, it's so encourage- encouraging. We don't have to have a, f- a fake facade culture or church community. We can actually like show our, wear our, our sins or s- our emotions on our sleeves. There's something almost encouraging about that. This is what he's saying. Hey, if you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, You have fellowship with one another. There's something about being open and honest. There's nothing worse than being in a community when you're like, "How's life?" and everyone kind of gives you that shallow answer. You're like, "No, I want to really know. I want to really know what's going on. I want to hear those cries, concerns. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to give to you. Whatever we can do, like we want to know. Don't keep it in darkness any longer. As long as we do, we'll just kind of be miserable people. But if we walk in the light, His blood continually cleanses us. I'd say, bring it to the light. What, What what's the point of waiting? When God's like, I want to do this. I want to cleanse you. I will do this. So bring it to the light. Verse 8, now again, that contrast. He says, but if we say that we have no sin. So someone who says, I have no sin. Wow. I, like, it's fun to meet those people. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, here's what he's kind of pointing out. Not just we're lying to others, we're lying to ourselves. All right? Now, let me just say this. A lot of times we lie to ourselves. Everyone in this room has a little attorney living inside of them trying to justify everything they do, right? All of us have, like, well, you know, God's going to forgive you anyways, right? God's the God of grace. And you're kind of like, whatever we're doing, like, well, other Christians are doing things much worse. We all have this little person inside of us telling us, let me justify You can justify what you're doing or saying and acting here. He's saying, if you say you have no sin, if you're saying this is not a sin, you're justifying it. He goes, you're just, you're just deceiving yourself. And the, the point he's actually trying to make is if you say you have no sin, the thought is if you're saying you don't have a sin nature, if you're saying you don't realize that everything about you is sin, <laughs> everything, about me is, everything about me is wrong and broken, if you don't recognize that this is not just something I, I sin once in a while, but this I am, like sin is in me. You know, maybe you've heard this quote, but it's, he's really talking about original sin. This idea is you're not a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. And just I like so let's just let that sink in. You're not, again, you're not a sinner because you sin. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. That's just who I am. It's just ingrained in my heart. This is just I, uh, by nature, the Bible says we are children of wrath. Like, we are born into sin. So a lot of times people can categorize themselves and go, I'm a pretty good person. This person's not as good as me. They're better than me. The point is, we're, we're all sinners, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, doesn't matter. Like, whatever extreme you want to go on, we're all broken, messed up. people. Like, that is who I am. I'm I'm starting off this way, broken and messed up and a sinner. And for some reason, we try to fight that or deny that. But the closer and the longer you walk with Christ, the more you really see, like, yes, that is kind of, that is constantly in me. Uh, Here's what I want to just kind of define really quick. So I don't want to use that word sin and not define it. What is sin? Like, what is that? Now, we can try to say, oh, it's missing them. What is sin, though? Sin is this. If I had to give a simple definition, a definition of sin, sin is when you are human-centered, when you're man-centered and not God-centered. Sin is simply saying, "I want to be God, not be under God." Sin again is when you're focused on yourself, when you're focused on you more than you're on your God. This idea of sin—it just lives in all of us. No one is prone to give glory to God. No one is wired to be like, let me bring the attention to him. It's like we are all self-absorbed. By nature, we're sinners. And there's this thing within all of us competing against one another. And the Bible is saying, listen, you need to recognize that you have, like you, there's sin in you and in me. And again, this is not like a fun message. Like, yes, talk about sin and how awful we are. But it's almost like this. Before we understand how good God is, we've got to understand how bad we are. Before we understand the grace of God and the mercy of God, we've got to say, man, God saved someone like me? God came down and saved someone who is that broken and that debased and that just lustful and that vengeful, like God saved someone like that while I was at my worst Christ died for me, sometimes we need to talk about what the worst means. Before we talk about Christ died for your sin, think about that phrase, Christ died for your sin, we kind of move on. What did he die for? Like what is sin and how bad was it? How bad did it get? How how self-deceptive did it get that we think that everyone else is broken except me? Everyone else is wrong except me. I was like, if you say you have no sin, you're now lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. That the very core, the core of us is human-centered, and not God-centered. Jeremiah put it this way, and it's a verse we know, and it's a powerful verse, though. And I'm gonna read it. It's gonna be up here. Jeremiah 17:9. It says, "The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it?" The Lord's like, "I, I know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing." Right away, the Bible's like, "Your heart." I mean, someone's like, follow your heart. You're like, mm, my heart's really broken. I don't really want to trust my heart. <coughs> the idea is this. My heart is wicked. And God promised in Ezekiel one day, he said, I will take out that stony, wicked heart, and I'll put a new heart in you. I'll take out that wicked, gross, lustful heart, that prideful, arrogant heart, the heart that is self-centered, the heart that's all about yourself. I'm going to take that out and put a new heart within you. I'm going to give you that new nature, that new desires. If you say you have no sin, again, you're deceiving yourself. That The truth is not in you. Like, we have to come to a pl- point in time where all of us realize, no, like, I, Josiah Graves, like, sin is just wired in me. It's not just like, again, I, I, I do bad things, so I'm a sinner. It's like, no, I'm just a sinner. It's just in me. But how do we now get in the light? How do we now walk in the light? How do we now realize that we don't have to live in this place? And John, again, it's like every other verse, if you notice, he kind of gives hope. He kind of gives, like like, depravity and, like, hope, depravity and hope. If you look at verse 6 and 7 now, verse 9. He says. He says. Now, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, remember, confession cleanses sin. So we looked at how light exposes sin. Confession cleanses sin. So let's just break this down really quick. This is. This has been called the Christian bar and So. This is if you're. Kid, like, this was probably one of the first verses you memorized. But this is a really profound thing. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. And those words matter. They're not just words he's throwing out there. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, let's talk about this really quick. This idea of confession. Confession. It is different than admission. And let me just, I want you guys to follow along and don't miss this. So, in a court of law, maybe you could say ad- admission and confession might be the same thing, but not biblically. Confession is different than admitting your sin. The word confession here, literally in the Greek, doesn't always matter, but I think this kind of matters. It's this word homologeo. Uh, homo, you go same. We, we know that. All right, calm down. Uh, and then legeo, uh, same word, to say the same thing. Legeo, we get the word logos from, the word word from. Same word, same word. Homologeo, same word. Confession is this idea that I am saying the same thing God is saying. So what does God say about my sin? That's what I say about my sin. Confession is not just me being very general and vague, saying, I am a sinner, God forgive me. It's saying, God, my sin deserves hell and death. My sin is so wicked it should separate me from you. My sin is so terrible you shouldn't even look upon me. But my sin is so horrible and so terrible you're the only one who could take care of it and you took care of it. See, confession is actually agree with, it means to agree with God, to say the same thing as God. This homogeo word, like to say the same thing as God about my sin. So actually, this word confession means to condemn your sin with God. It's saying if God condemns this, I condemn it. If God said this is off limits, it's off limits. If God says he doesn't want me practicing this or doing this or living this way, I'm going to practice this and live this and do it this way. You're basically agreeing with God. So here's the point. I might not read the Bible and always my nature is like, I love this verse about this topic that is always issues in, in culture. Like my heart, my heart might not be inclined to it. But when it comes down to it, I go, but God, not what I say, not what I want, not what I will, but God, whatever you say, I'm going to agree with it. Because sooner or later, man and God are going to disagree. And in the end, who's right? If your God always agreed with you, then you're God. If there is a God and he always agreed with what you thought, is he really God? sooner or later we're going to have to get dis- come to some sort of disagreement but go, but you know what, Lord, I choose what you say. I agree with what you say about it. Again, admission and confession is different. You no, know, it's really interesting. You can read this later for fun, for homework. In Exodus chapter 9, remember the story of Moses, let my people go and that whole idea with Pharaoh. In Exodus 9, hail, lightning, storm, just terrible things are going on. It's awful. You can read Exodus 9, what's happening. Pharaoh says to Moses, Moses he goes, I have sinned. I have sinned. Pray that your God would take this away. And so if you read in Exodus 9, Moses leaves and goes outside that city, and he prays that God would take it away. And the storm's gone, the storm's over, and it says, and Pharaoh sinned more in his heart. He confessed, but he really didn't confess. He admitted he sinned, but it wasn't a true heart change and repentance. He didn't really agree with God what God felt about him and his ways. There's a difference for me to go, yeah, I think what I'm doing is wrong, versus me going, no, God, I so agree with you, I have to take action. God, you, you would con- like, this sin is worthy of condemnation. I agree with you on that thank you that that's your judgment for my sin was poured out on your son. You're agreeing with God in that way. And I love that it says he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. Here's the, p- the point of that, and just not without me going super deep into it, but here's the point of that. Jesus on the cross died for my sins. So God punished my sins on his son Jesus. So one day when I stand before God, God's not going to punish my sins again on me. Why? God is just. He punished sin once on his son. He's not going to repunish it again on me. The point is, if you and I have accepted what Jesus Christ has done for us on our behalf, my sin has been transferred over to Jesus and been judged on Jesus. God's not going to judge that same tw- sin twice. It's like, a, it's like a how, how just would it be for a judge to send two different people to prison? Oh, one of you committed this act? Well, you're both going. Like, what? I was even there. Like, that makes no sense. The judge wouldn't be a just judge. You're going to condemn that sin. So God condemned our sin on his son. So guess what? He's not going to judge it again. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a beautiful thing. And let me even point this out, guys, because this is so important. 1 John's not written to non-believers. It's written to believers. Now, this might, I always was confused by this. Maybe you were two, you go, well, why does it say if you're God, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if my sins are already forgiven? Like, how does that work? Aren't I already forgiven? Why do I need to confess my sins in this way? Let me kind of put it to you this way. In marriage, my wife and I. We are married. We love each other, but guess what? We sin. I sin against her. She sins against me. There comes a point where I have to go to her and say, hey, honey, I love you. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me of X of what I've done here? Or she comes to me and says, hey, I, that was wrong. Forgive me of X. Forgive me what I've done here. Were we still married throughout that time? Yes. We were still married, but there was kind of a breach in the relationship. The harmony at home wasn't there because there's a lack of confession. The deep intimacy, the fellowship that he's describing wasn't there. The fellowship was missing because there's still pride and arrogance and unrepentance. But you see, as soon as you repent, as soon as you confess sin, you go, oh, my gosh, harmony again, fellowship again. This is what John's talking. He's not talking so much about sonship as much as he's talking about fellowship. Your son, you're born again, you're, yes, but are you walking with God or is the home just kind of a mess? Yeah, you might have that marriage certificate, but do you have a healthy marriage? He's saying, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, to bring back that harmony, to bring, that, uh, bring back that fellowship. And now again in verse 10, look at this. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think we kind of get the point by now, but let me just point this out. Um, so back in 2007, I think it was, I worked for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and we used to go to college campuses and do college Bible studies on these campuses. That's what we'd do. Like I'd go to four or five college campuses a week and we do do Bible studies. <coughs> I was at UCI. Um, go, what are they? Madag- they're like the anteaters. Go anteaters! Uh, worst mascot ever. Uh, UCI. My mom went there. I went to UCI. We're teaching uh, college Bible study there, and I walk. We literally got done. We're walking out of our, our Bible study, and I won't forget because it's just one of the most awful scenes. There is this group of people. Uh, they're not super common amongst you know. They're not. They're not Christians, but they call themselves Christians. They're called sinless perfectionists. And what they believe is, they do not sin any longer. That they've been justified by the blood of Jesus. Not, not only they're justified, but they're now made like Christ immediately. Like they're they're thinking of heaven. They got their theology mixed up. It's bad. It's bad. So they really do believe they just don't sin. And these g- people were kind of there with their like blow horns, and they're watching people walk by, like a guy and girl holding hands. Like you're holding hands, you're going to hell. You look at her lustfully, you're going to hell. And I'm like, what the heck? And they're holding signs like, we are Christians. I'm like, no, you're not. So they're like doing their thing, and uh, I try to like grab one really like politely. I'm like, hey, can I just talk to you for a second? Like, I'd love to kind of hear what you're thinking, but just not on a loudspeaker. I was like trying to pull one aside. And he's like, you disagree with me? Go to hell! I'm like, okay, now we got a problem. So, actually, I remember at one point, we shouldn't have entertained it too much, but we're like, we quoted these verses, like, if you say you have no sin, you're lying. liar, the truth's not in you. We started quoting First John like one eight to them. We're like, if you say you have not sin, God's not with you, ah, uh, and then we just try to like, walk away. Um, but they really believed, like, we just don't sin anymore. It's, like, it's terrible. Here, here's what I want to point out, actually, on the contrary. Can I just point this out, and please hear me on this. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize how deep of a sinner you are. It doesn't get less, it gets more. And it's so, and it can't tell you, are like, well, that's awful then, that's awful. No, it's beautiful because it makes me crave him more. You see, when you realize that the more longer I walk with Jesus, the longer I get closer to God who is light, the more and more he's going to expose those dark things in my life. It's not only really these big issues of sin, but you go, oh my gosh, this motive here, this heart here, this attitude here, what was that? And God's like, see, I'm not done with you yet. You still need this. And there's something beautiful about walking with God, and you realize, I'm still a mess. I'm still a mess. I never not need Jesus. I never not need the gospel preached to my heart. I always need this. This is something I constantly need. This is what John is saying, that the longer you walk with God, it's not like you realize you're less of a sinner. You realize you're more of a sinner. You know, there's a great evangelist, uh, not just an evangelist, an apologist, a guy who would defend Christianity. He'd go around, speaking at universities. His name was Francis Schaeffer. (coughs) He said this. I thought this was so good. This might be for some of you. It's for me. He said this. And when talk, he said this, if I ever met someone on a train and I had 15 minutes to share the gospel with them, like, oh, 50 minutes, that's it? Because if I had met someone on the train and 50 15 minutes to share the gospel with them, here's what he said, just listen to this, I think it might be up here, If it's, it's a long quote. He said, I would spend 45 to 50 minutes on the negative to really showing him his dilemma, that he is morally dead. <laughs> I like that guy. He says, then, I would take the last 10 to 15 minutes to preach the good news of the gospel. I believe that much of our evangelistic and personal work today is not clear simply because we are too anxious to get to the answer without having a man realize the real cause of his sickness, which is true moral guilt and not just psychological guilt feelings in the presence of God. He goes, we are way too quick to get to this idea of grace because we don't spend time focusing. Like, no, people don't think they need God because their life seems good. If you can more focus on you are broken. All of a doesn't matter if, you're, if you think you're right. It doesn't matter what your, your, you know, list is of all the good things you've done for God. If you can talk for 45 to 50 minutes, he goes on the negative. But then when I bring into the good news, he's going to crave it that much more. He's going to want it that much more. Again, it's the same idea ideas. You know, if you just drank a gallon of water and I offered you water, you're not going to be like, thank you for this water. But if you're in the desert and you're dry and you're thirsty and you're sweating like crazy and I offer you water, you're going to appreciate it that much more. It's almost like you need to experience that negative before you can ex- really enjoy the positive. That's why Romans 1 through 3 is like all of sin, all of fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's awful. Then you finally get to like grace (laughs) in Romans 6 through 8. That's why he starts off his argument by trying to say, hey, we're all there. Whether you're Jewish and you grow up religious or you're a pagan Roman, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. Everyone is utterly miserable and broken. You and I are way more miserable and broken than we realize. But God. And he's like, I would spend more time on that before I get to the grace, this message of, of the gospel. Because you're almost trying to create and stir that hunger within people. And I think kind of that's what's happening. If you say you have no sin, you're lying to others. If you say you have no sin, you're lying to yourself. If you say you have not sin, you're lying to God. You're just lying to everyone here, right? And now in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, you just have the most profound few statements of the gospel. Let's just read these slowly so we can let it sink in. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Let's just stop there. Really? I want you to see how there's connection before there's correction. I want you to see how he says, my little children, I want you to see his, like his father heart. Before he just says, like, stop sinning, he's like, hey, I love you guys. You're my kids. Stop sinning. I'm writing this to you so you would stop sinning. Like, I'm writing this to you, not that we'd be perfect, but that you would have to be defeated over and over again by sin. I'm writing this to you so you can be freed from that. If I saw my son grow up and just live in addiction, I, I would say, son, I love you, you're my son, stop, you're killing yourself, what are you doing to yourself? The point is, there's almost this father heart of like, when you and I continue in sin, we're killing ourselves, and it, you, you feel like John's saying, guys, I'm writing this book to you just so you can be freed from that, so you would not sin, and I, I feel like I see this like, compassion and his passion in this passage, that you don't have to always lose, we don't always have to lose to sin. We don't always have to be those who are constantly defeated by it. He goes, I'm writing to this so you can know you don't have to sin, that you may not sin. And then I love what he says next, right? He says, and, or again, the ESV way better says, but, it actually says, but, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. There's number three to remind you, Jesus propitiates sin. Jesus propitiates sin. Let's just stop and talk about this really quick. He says, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate. You have someone on your behalf fighting this for you. I remember I had to go to I had to go to uh, court one time when I first moved here because I moved here now my California license and something got confused and I had to prove I was a Floridian so I had to go to court and then they didn't like accept what I had so I had to go back to court and so I got like a, a friend who worked at the church and I'm like oh I'm a lawyer I'll I'll come with you and it was so nice because the first time like I, I didn't know what to say or do the second time I had an advocate I had someone on my behalf say no the, the police officer messed up look at Article A thirteen B C I don't know what he's saying he's like but this is why he's a Floridian he's good to go and was dismissed. No, I didn't even have to pay the, the uh, speeding fee. I'm like, I had another fee, but okay, both got dismissed. Awesome. They, he dismissed both. And there's nothing like having an advocate on your behalf where you just, I don't have to say a word. I don't have to, I don't have to say anything. He says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, let me point this out. I remember reading this, and I would hear this as a kid, or even now you might hear this, and you think, Wait. So is it like God's in heaven and you have Jesus, this lawyer, going, no, I know, case number, you know, 3,000 million, Josiah Graves is up again. All right, God, I know that he's sinned again. Please forgive him this millionth time. He's like, I don't know, millionth time. That's a lot, Jesus. Like, please, I really beg you to forgive him this time. That's not like what it's happened. It says Jesus Christ, he's an advocate who is the righteous. Here's what that means. The righteous, not saying the merciful, Jesus Christ, the, the righteous is saying, God, listen, you're just, you're righteous. You've already paid for my sin. You've already paid for his sin, Josiah's sin, on me. That sin's already paid for. So according to you and what you've established, case of dismissed. Like the idea is more of he is righteous, he is just. sin's already been judged. It's not going to be judged again. We have an advocate. Now it's interesting. We're going to read this because I think it's so necessary. We're going to turn to Zechariah 3 really quick. But we're told that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we're also told in Revelation 12.10 that we have an accuser. Revelation 12:10 puts it this way, if you want, it's about Satan. It says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before God. We have an advocate, but we also have an accuser. Jesus is the advocate, Satan is the accuser. Jesus is the one saying, innocent because of my blood on the cross. Satan's saying, you idiot, I can't believe you sinned again. You can never come to God. God would never love you. God would never forgive you. How dare you show up in church? How dare you pretend that you're a believer? The enemy's there to put these thoughts in our mind. And when you start hearing yourself in this, like, they're like, you, you, you. You go, okay, that's the, that's the accuser. When you start hearing these thoughts, like, God would never accept you. People could never invite you into their small group. They knew who you really were. When you start hearing these thoughts, you know that that's the accuser. And he says, but we have an advocate with the Father. We're going to read it there in just a minute, but I want to get back to verse 2. He says, Jesus Christ, the righteous, verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. What is this idea of propitiation? And help me understand this. Even in the Greco-Roman world, how does this work? Let me just give you a simple definition. The word propitiation simply means a claim against you has been satisfied. Right? And you've heard maybe this term in, in nowadays language, but a claim against you has been satisfied. You get in a car accident, you hit ten cars, and your bill's a million dollars, and you're like, oh, I'm never going to pay this bill. And then what happens? Someone, let's say, comes and pays the money for you, and that bill against you, that charge against you has been propitiated. It's been satisfied. There was this great charge against, this unpayable debt I could never pay, but it's been propitiated. It's been satisfied. You know, in Greek mythology, th- about this idea of propiti- propitiating the gods. Let me kind of explain how Christianity redeems it in a really cool way. Um, in Greek mythology, it's almost like I want to travel across that sea before I do. I don't want to die in that boat because I can't look at the weather app. So I need, to, I need to make sure that there's a sacrifice. I kill that sacrifice. Hopefully the god of the sea will be happy with me. So let me propitiate the gods by making a sacrifice before I go on this voyage. And like, and this is what people would do. is they would, they would try to propitiate or satisfy the gods with these sacrifices before or after they did something. But here's what's really interesting. So as a human being, what he could do to satisfy their gods? What's crazy is the Bible uses the same terminology that God's wrath needs to be satisfied. God is holy and God is just. And we've got to talk about that. God cannot just overlook sin. He wouldn't be just any longer. The number one attribute of God in the Bible is God's holiness. God is holy. And because God is holy, God looks at sin and he must punish sin to some extent. The wrath of God upon sin needs to be satisfied. It must be propitiated. But here's what's interesting. In the Greek mythology, it was the person going, what can I do to satisfy the God? But in Christianity, it's God himself propitiating himself. It's God himself satisfying himself. It's God giving himself to satisfy that righteous need to punish sin. God's like, I will pay the debt you cannot pay. I will propitiate it myself. Not you and what you can offer me. Not you trying to make some sort of sacrifice to propitiate the wrath of God but I will actually be the one who pays it for the debt that you owe. God was the propitiator as well. <laughs> that is the coolest thing. God's like, you have a debt, let me pay it, and I will pay, like, it needs to be paid, but I will pay it for you. He satisfied himself with his sacrifice with his son. He goes, and listen, Jesus is not just the propitiation for, for the sins of us, but for the sins of the whole world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's how I view this, and I love this. Again, with Exodus and the Passover. Remember that story where it's like, Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, if you don't let our people go, the firstborn son's going to die. And so he goes, no, well, I don't believe you don't trust you. So Moses tells the people, he tells them, listen, you need to take an animal sacrifice, you need to kill that sacrifice, and you need to apply the blood to your doorposts. Wherever there's blood on the doorposts, the angel of death will pass over. And whether they were Jewish or whether they were Egyptian, whether they were pagan or religious, everyone needed a sacrifice. The religious people needed a sacrifice, the pagan people needed a sacrifice. Both needed a sacrifice. But you see, it applied to all, but only those who applied the blood, the angel death passed over. Only those who say, you know what, a sacrifice will satisfy God's righteous wrath will let me apply the blood to my doorposts. Jesus died for the world, but have you applied the blood to your life? Have you said, Jesus, I apply what, what you've done for me on the cross, I believe and I surrender in, that by your stripes I am healed. By your blood being shed, I could be right with God because of what you've done for me. Yes, he died for the sins of the world, but have you applied that? Like they had to apply the blood on their doorposts. Have you and I applied that? Jesus is that advocate who propitiates the righteous wrath of God. Sin must be punished. God would not be just if he didn't punish sin. But how do you separate sin from people? It's by God becoming a people. It's by God becoming a man and bearing the weight of sin. Again, we're going to read it now just briefly, and we'll close with this story. And can't get into as much as I'd like to, but Zechariah 3 just read these few verses. We're going to get five verses. And it's the gospel in the Old Testament. So <coughs> Zechariah 3, verse 1. Listen to this. Look at this. Zechariah, one of the last books in the Old Testament. Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 1. And if, you can, if you're not there yet, I'll just read it so you can listen. He says, Then he showed me Joshua, Zechariah speaking. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan, standing at his right hand to oppose him, to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, God said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand, uh, a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel, the angel of the Lord. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. I want you to see the scene here. Joshua the high priest is standing before God and Satan. Zechariah is having this vision. He sees J- Joshua, the high priest. I don't know if you've ever seen high priestly garments, but they're pretty snazzy. Like, they're, r- they're really cool, right? Like You have like, all the gems and jewels. Like, they're beautiful. I mean, there's gold intertwined in their fabric. Like, expensive. We actually went to Israel a few years ago, and they actually had the high priest garments made up again. I think they said it was like $3 million. Like, that's what it would be worth, right? Expensive garments. Joshua standing before God, and what does it say in verse 3? His garments were filthy. These most awesome, righteous, great garments that anyone would love to have are just filthy before God. And Satan's there opposing him. Do you see, like, and I wonder what he said. I wonder what Joshua heard. Hey, Joshua, we think you're so righteous. Look at your garments. You're nothing. You're disgusting. You're filth. And I love that the Lord just says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Just one little one little rebuke. Satan's done, and God says to the angel of the Lord, who I clearly believe is Jesus, we can talk about that later if you want, but he says, hey, go get new garments and put garments on him. Go put clean garments on him. Isaiah 64 talks about how God has robed us with his righteousness. He has clothed us with the garment of salvation. That God has now robed us in his right. Now, I could never put on these, I, c- I am the high priest, I have the best robes ever, I'm Joshua. I could never put better garments on than the ones that God gave me. And God's like, put on new robes, put them on him. See, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have Satan opposing us, recusing us, condemning us. How dare you go to God? How dare you think you could, you know what you've done last week, last night? but you have Jesus Christ the righteous saying, but he's not wearing his garments anymore. I've clothed him with my garments. He's now clothed with the garments of salvation. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You see, this idea now is, is uh, John is saying, God is light. You and I are not, there's, it's going to expose darkness and sin. And I'm writing this so you can be freed from sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sin, but not for our sin, only the sin for the whole world. What a a wonderful, just that is the gospel. In a few verses, I could never be right with God unless God made me right with him. And that was through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for me. And the hope is this. The hope is that the world knows this. The reason we gather together, the reason we study the Bible, the reason we do this is that we want people to hear this message. It's completely free. That the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared all We want people to know that though your sins be as scarlet, God will make them white as snow. We want people to know that the whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That maybe what the enemy might say about you, or what you might say about you, or what mo- others might say about you, doesn't define you. What Jesus Christ has done for you defines you. That He says you are my little children, and I'm writing this to you so you can be free from sin. You're of course you're going to sin, but f- be freed from it. You don't have to be a slave to it anymore. I'm writing this to you so you can actually have victory over sin. But if you do sin, guess what? You have an advocate. You have one who's clothed you in his garments. You have one who's given you new life and new meaning. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. The whole point we do this is because people try so hard to work and work and be right with God. And maybe if I die one day, I'll enter into heaven. And they don't realize that this is completely free by the blood of Jesus, by the cross, what he's done for us. And you say, stop working. This is the work you must do to have eternal life. Believe. Believe in Jesus whom the Father has sent. That is the work you must do. And that is what we're trying to promote. That is what we, we want to make known. That is honestly why we are called the exchange. We are called the exchange because it's a gospel in the word. The whole gospel message is communicating that word that God switched places with us. He took my sin, my filth, my junk, my life, my old lifestyle, and he's given me His son, Jesus, and his righteousness and his perfect life. This is the great exchange, and it's free. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the message we want to preach until the day we die. This is the message I want to communicate one-on-one in small groups and big groups because, again, this is that message that I need to be reminded of. I need to be reminded that I am more wicked than I think I am, and God is more good than I think he is. That is the message I need to hear until the day I die, that I'm never not going to need Jesus. I've never graduated from Jesus' class. I'm like, I don't need Jesus anymore, guys, and that's so great. Like, no, like, I'm always going to need him. I'm always going to need to put on Jesus. And that is what we're trying to communicate and make known. I love how Martin Luther, and I'll just read this last quote, he said this about this text in 1 John 2.2. He says, and again, forgive the old King James because they translate it that way. He says, it is a patent fact that thou too are a part of the whole world so that thine heart cannot deceive itself and think, the Lord died for Peter and Paul, but not for me. Jesus is the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, it can't mean me. It means you. <laughs> it means me. He's a propitiation for the sins of the world, and it's free. I'm just going to share this. We're going to end with worship. One, just a Jesus and what he's done for us. Amen. To celebrate the finished work of the cross, we're just going to have a time to respond and say, thank you, Jesus. But two, we're going to have a leader or two up here and we're going to say, listen, if you want to make that known, if you say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. I want to actually expose my dark, sinful life that I've kind of been hiding in. I actually don't want to live in that way anymore. I want to bring it to the light. And if you want prayer, we're just going to have a couple prayer leaders up here, so we'd love to pray with you. Bring it to the light. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Either you expose it or he'll expose it. And we would love for you to say, you know what? I want to make this known. I want to be right with Jesus, who is my advocate. I want to be right with Jesus, who is my Lord and my Savior. No longer do I want to say he's the Lord, but not do what he says. I want to do what he says, starting today. Amen? I'm going to pray with you. We can just, why don't you guys just stand now. Let's just pray, and we'll worship, we'll sing, and we'll have some closing things for you guys, so don't head out yet. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have given us the most important, precious thing you have, and that is your son. God, forgive me, forgive us, for how we can hear this message day after day or week after week, and sometimes it still doesn't penetrate our hearts. God, I ask that this would sink into my heart that'd remind me that I am nothing without you, God. But Jesus, you've given me a new identity. You've made all things new. God, for everyone in this room, let them know As your word says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed their sins from them. Let them believe that. Let them confess that. Let them surrender to that truth, Jesus. God, I ask for anyone here who's still just keeping their sin or their addictions or their issues in the dark. God, that you set them free from that. God, that we as Christians would be known for our love for you, for the purity in our lives. God, that we no longer be slaves to that. We just thank you for the truths that you share with us now. Speak to us more, God. We thank you for this book as we study it more next week, as we look about walking with you, God. Let it not just be theory anymore. Let us really walk with you, God. That is our prayer tonight, that we'd walk with you and know you. In just your wonderful name, Jesus, we want to sing to you now because you are great and you are beautiful. We pray all this in your name. Amen.